It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own life. Beat it up and I've seen got no peace. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, the of the gangs and the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Oh. In the dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. Oh, that mysterious figure. <laughs> Boy, where is the dark heart of the city exactly? I don't know. Is there an address? Is, are there coordinates? Dark heart of the city. So that we can contact this some... Dr. Bones yeah. guy? <laughs> there are some locations in cities that... You would consider be, the yeah. dark. You could consider the dark heart of it. We've absolutely. driven through a few of them. Oh, we, we actually have. This is the hour of doom and bloom. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a bastion of bravery in a belligerent world. I'm Joel Alton, MD, also known as Doctor Bones of DoomandBloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy, and I am a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. And together we are the beauty and the beast, the queen and the codger, (laughs) the geezer and the goddess, and we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a squiggly squirrel, well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything. Oh, it's my throat. Allergies. Do not represent medical advice (laughs) for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Medical, medical, modern medical care. Modern medical care is the bomb. (laughs) That's That's for sure. Now, you you have an excuse. What's my excuse? Modern medical care is the bomb. That is for sure. But when you need it, and it's not there, and you got to go without it, will you know what to do if somebody gets sick or injured? Well, surprise, surprise, you can show the world that someone out there knows what to do 
for injuries and illness in times of trouble. And while you're showing that you are that person, consider getting some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never-equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face in good times or bad, and they're designed by yours truly, an old country doctor, <laughs> and hers truly, a modern advanced registered nurse practitioner. <laughs> modern. <laughs> That's right. Am I modern? You are modern. I guess I am. Thoroughly modern. I don't know. Compare our kits for contents, quality, <laughs> cost with anybody else's stuff. I dare you, or just ask anyone who's ever bought one, and you'll agree our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage, and you should have a kit even if it's not ours. Get one. Hey, we learn as much from you as you do from us. That is so obvious, painfully obvious, I'd say. So say something, pumpkin, and reach out to old Dr. Bones and the lovely Nurse Amy. It's so easy. And you can contact and, us. <laughs> and here's your Yes. Email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. <clears throat> our Facebook page is Doom and Bloom. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel at drbonesnurseamy. And remember, American Survival Radio we are on various land-based radio stations, uh, KPJC, Relevant News Talk Radio out of Salem, Oregon, Radio KRFE in Lubbock, Texas, KMET, and Beaumont, Texas, KFAR in Fairbanks, Alaska, all sorts of other channels that carry our show, and we thank you so much. Also, a big shout-out to KYAH Radio for our Survival Medicine Hour show. We know... The folks in Utah are dedicated preparedness enthusiasts. We're here to fulfill our mission of helping them put a medically prepared person in every family. Now, well, we are back in town. <laughs> yes, we're back in town. Sleeping fi- in our own bed. Right. Well, not well, that that's not our Our own bed in but Gatlinburg. We, but, but we had to go to hotels. Right. We traveled to Fletcher, North Carolina, near Asheville for the Mother Earth News Fair. That mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. You always get to see animals and all sorts of interesting uh, so countercultural many, things. So many cool there. talks. Yeah. Absolutely. I love all the natural medicine. That's right. And I bought elderberry syrup. Oh, yeah. That's right. You did. <laughs> and I bought... Um, this very strange olive oil that actually supposedly has probiotics. And probiotics. Yeah, all this good stuff in it. Oh, well, Although that's... I will tell you, remember when I opened it up to pour it uh-huh. on my salad? Remember it foamed? Yes. What was that all about? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's alive. I'm a little scared. It's olive oil that's somehow alive. <laughs> I don't understand it, but... Somehow it's got probiotics. Well, there you go. I, I hope it that it's healthy. It tastes really good. Well, it's got a little bit of a lime flavor. You didn't get sick afterwards. No. So good for you. And I've lost a little weight since Monday, so three pounds All in right. four days. Well, that's not too bad. No. Now by that point, uh, I th- at this point next year, <clears throat> if you lose three pounds every three weeks, then no, uh, you mean you'll every be, three days? You'll right every three, four oh, three, days. three or four days. Wow. <laughs> be gone. Yeah, you'll lose 400 <laughs> pounds in the next uh, year. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, the chances of that are zero, unless I'm underground. 
Right. That's the only way I'd be losing <laughs> all that weight. Well, of course, then the next week we went to the opposite type of show. We went to a show where there are people that sell guns and, well, it was, and personal defense but stuff. But I will say that it was touted as a prepper type show, show uh-huh. but probably 95% of the vendors were knives, guns, and tactical bags. Yes, Yes, I, I do see that, that a would, lot. That would be about most of the vendors. There are just a few of us that nope. were sort of just the prepper folks that we've seen before, and which is nice. You know, we yeah. get to say hi to everybody. Right, and we actually do get quite a few people that are interested in our medical kits there. So that's good. We get to talk, and we even did a class, and we actually mm-hmm. had... Uh, People from as far away as New Hampshire Unbelievable. come by and take our wound care that suturing and stapling class. She flew into Atlanta from New Hampshire. That's Just, incredible. I'm telling you. Thank you so amazing. much. I'm not mentioning your name because I didn't ask her permission, but we also met. You know who you are, and thank you. I met a really nice guy towards the end. I mean, a lot of you met. did not not somebody <laughs> that to replace me. I hope no. Although there are several candidates out there. Oh. <laughs> Beware. <laughs> I have met a lot of nice guys. But anyway, um, he's a Boy Scout leader. Uh-huh. And he said he was in church. And his wife texted him and said, hey, I see there's a prepper show. He actually got up out of church and came to the show and basically walked straight to our booth because he was getting ready to go over all of his medical supplies. Not only is he a Boy Scout leader, uh-huh. uh, they are preppers, but he is part of FEMA and oh. disaster relief. In fact, his, he had a name badge on wow. for FEMA. Well, that's cool. Yes. So. Absolutely. It's amazing the folks, uh, uh, the folks at FEMA and some of these other uh, government organizations do. Actually, sense. some of them do know us because we do write a lot. And, you know, we our, our hearts are in the right place. That's right. You and know, I, so we want to educate people. Also, uh, another guy who I didn't really talk to. I think you talked to him um, and our booth buddies talked to him. He was a CDC leader. He's Oh, yes. I remember that. Yep. yep. I, don't, I don't know if he's actually in charge of the CDC. I didn't look at I his name it. tag. <laughs> but I saw his wife. Uh-huh. Start videoing on one side of our table and walk all the way around. We had 30-foot long booth plus a 10-foot side. So he, she recorded 40 feet of products oh. <laughs> for the CDC. I have no, no idea. No wonder what. I got arrested as soon no. as I walked out of that place. No. It's, <laughs> we're only selling first aid stuff. <laughs> Quality first aid. but So, you know, everywhere we go, we meet really nice people. We really do, we, and, and and we appreciate that's, it. That's really why we go because we really enjoy I know. seeing people all, all parts of the country and seeing all parts of the country too. It's we're like that old couple in an RV. Although we don't use an RV, we drive in a, you an want expedition. To. I'd love to. I know but you would travel in the country and seeing America first. I know, but they just get terrible gas mileage. They really do. <laughs> and believe it or not, folks, there's a lot of empty space out there in this country. As much as people tell you that it. Everything's overpopulated. The only thing that's overpopulated are inner cities. Right. When you leave inner cities, for the most part, there's wide open spaces, lots and lots of property and land. Yep. Well, where it shows that where we're, there's just about 
Nothing. Shows that we're a social social animals because we have to stay in well, big we herds. Like, they like to be with people. It's good to be near your job. You know, if you have a job that's in the city. All right, jobs so, are in the city mostly. Believe me, I totally understand. But it's funny. I have to laugh about the overpopulation. <laughs> <laughs> Because I see so much space. If we'd all just spread out, everybody could have a few acres. That that would be awesome. Up, and there's some beautiful land out there. All right, I'm looking for a few acres right now, and uh, you are. We, we are we in are. Te- East Tennessee. Hopefully, I'm thinking. What did you mention, nice Johnson there. City? Well, Johnson City is a nice area. <clears throat> I mean, anywhere along that corridor. Uh, that borders North Carolina, that North Carolina, East Tennessee, I have a border few all the way up to Virginia. Though. Yeah, whatever your requirements. Well, I, I want it. <laughs> it's impossible. I want to see the ocean. I want to have a beach. I want to have good soil, which, of course, you can't have when you're near the ocean. And you want mountains. Salt water. Wait, yes. And then behind us, I want to turn around. And on the back porch, I want to see snow-capped Rocky Mountains. <laughs> Oh, wait, and there has to be a lake between us and the mountains. No, oh, wow. <laughs> that see, is quite I a... I want to see the sunrise in the front or the sunset in the front and then the opposite in the back. There must so be, be some place east, like west that. facing. It might be, it might I think be in Chile. Ma- yeah, Malaysia, Chile, Chile uh, Antarctica, <laughs> the moon, the only perhaps one I would Mars. consider is Chile there, but. <laughs> and that's so far to go visit, so I'll probably never get there. Oh, well. And, oh, and, and let's not forget to mention that I want the temperature to be between 50 and 78 mm-hmm. <laughs> at all times. At all times. Wow. <laughs> at all times. Wow. Well, you are a, a <laughs> rare and fragile creature. I oh, and not too many gray days. Ugh. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah, the Northwest is very nice. It's got beautiful country there, but a oh, lot rainy. of gray days. I need sun. Yeah. All right. But I, and I don't want it to be too dry. It has to be a little bit humid, not too humid. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, right, and that's not, that's not to mention all of my prepper requirements. Yep. Fresh water s- stream and <laughs> lots of very fertile land. All right, picky, 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 Yoon. Well, look, hey, hey this is a, a medical girl... show. We need to talk about medical things, Listen, buddy. A girl can dream. Yes, and we. Still, we'll find that dream property somewhere. You think? That uh, no, I don't. But <laughs> not not your dream Listen, property. Listen, you can never have it all. <laughs> all you can do is hope for the best, right? That's right. And prepare for the worst. That's right. Hey, you know we've talked about infectious disease on the show. Heck, we've talked about everything on the show. But one thing we might discuss today is what are called emerging infectious diseases. Uh, emerging infectious diseases. These are diseases that have recently appeared within a population or those whose frequency or the range, geographic range, is increasing or or likely to increase in the near future. Uh, they say there's nothing new under the sun, so how is something like this possible? Yep. Beats me, but emerging infections <clears throat> can be caused by, uh, let's say, previously undetected or unknown infectious agents like um, the uh, viruses that cause uh, sudden adult respiratory syndrome in Asia or Middle East respiratory syndrome in that part of the world. Right. Uh, there are known agents that have spread to new geographic locations or new populations, like Ebola went from the middle of Africa or, or you know, deepest, darkest Africa, so to speak, all the way to the coast of the west, western part of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, Zika went from 
the I think the French Polynesia all the way to South America, and all sorts of other examples can be made for that. Yeah, now, it's not too hard for these things to travel. Right. I these mean, days. these days you're with right with modern and air trains travel and cars. Absolutely. Now there are also previously known agents whose role in specific diseases had gone unrecognized, like some viruses <laughs> now being thought responsible for certain illnesses. I think that they're going to find a lot of viruses that tend out to tend turn out rather to be uh-huh. responsible for things like cancer and things like and, and, and diseases like well, that. You know, I have, I have always felt, and I told you this a long, long time ago, that there is a big role, I believe, personally, in viruses. And I think that they're finding out, you know, here and there that certain cancers are being caused by viruses. That wouldn't surprise me in the least. That they're... They get in and trigger things that shouldn't be triggered. They change our RNA and just trigger terrible things. Absolutely. Definitely one of them is HPV. Yes. And they're finding more and more that... Right. HPV causes cervical cancer. They didn't know that when I was first going to medical school. That's right. And they're also relating it very heavily to oral cancers. Uh, well, I'm so glad you mentioned that mouth, because I was looking tongue, for a good throat, example. Right, exactly. Your esophagus, esophageal cancers, uh, they're really finding a, a big relation between this same HPV virus, at least for now, and those kind of cancers. So um, protect yourself, folks. It is a sexually transmitted disease, and it can get into the upper respiratory system. And again, like I said, they're finding out it's it's related to cancer, just like the HPV is related to cancer in the cervix. So protect yourself and um, try not to get sick (laughs) if we can. Of course, there are also re-emerging infectious diseases, and that is certain agents that cause disease who had disappeared or significantly declined in the past, but who are reappearing. For example, measles would be a good example of that. Less people are are vaccinating their children, so we're seeing some more cases of measles. Of course, then there's smallpox, which is essentially eradicated and exists, I think, only in a lab at the CDC or the National Institute of Health. thank goodness for that. And hopefully it'll stay there. I know, right? But... The thing is, is that these emerging infectious diseases are coming up at a a fast pace. I mean, the World Health Organization uh, said that these things are coming up, you know, let's say in the last 40 years, there have been at least 40 infectious, new infectious diseases that have been discovered. Uh, We mentioned some of them, Ebola, MERS, SARS, uh, avian flu, swine flu, Zika virus, chikungunya virus, all sorts of viruses that we've ta- talked about all of them at one point or another on well, the show. this could also be related to the fact that there's just more Petri dishes. And by Petri dishes, I mean humans. Yes, that's true. A bigger population. Right, so, and close populations, especially in less developed countries, means poorer sanitation, and that certainly means more, op- more infectious More diseases. opportunities for these things to mutate. And and learn how we work and how to um, hack us, basically. Circumvent our defenses. Hack. Hack yeah, the sure. human body is what they are. So they're, 
they're like, I, I, I hate to say living viruses because viruses aren't technically living, but if you think about a virus in a computer and compare it, this would be the living virus. But it's the same thing. They're learning to hack our bodies and get in and, and take control, just like a computer virus would take control of your computer and do bad things. Right. So that's what's happening. Oh, I just wanted to say, for those of you who were surprised by her statement the virus is not actually living, the truth is, is that there is a significant controversy as to whether viruses are living. The truth of the matter is that something that is living has the ability to live and reproduce on its own, whereas viruses need a host to be able to do that. They're essentially just particles until they get into a host, and those and, and once they get into a host, then they activate and they begin the process by which they can reproduce. So that's what she meant by that, and she's absolutely right. Now, of course, people are traveling much more frequently, as Amy also said, and of course, far greater distances than in the past. And of course, as Amy also said, living in more densely populated places. So uh, as a result, there's pressure to spread out. And in places like Africa, when they spread out, that means they're in closer contact with a lot of wild animals. And uh, I guess the diseases that they can carry, it's possible, it's possible that bats, cooking bats in uh, West Africa uh, was the spur to get the Ebola epidemic going. So the potential for an emerging infectious diseases to spread rapidly because of people spreading out could easily cause global epidemics. But definitely a big issue. That's just a few of the ways that it can happen. Of course, there's a potential for diseases to emerge as a result of a direct introduction into a human or animal plant population for well, for bioterrorism uh, re uh, reasons, I mean, certainly there are a number of situations where there is man-made or deliberate introduction of things like anthrax, smallpox, and tularemia, previously an issue in rabbits, which can easily cause people to get sick and maybe get sick in outbreaks, in in large group outbreaks and epidemics. Now, there are many factors involved in emerging new infectious diseases or the reemergence of old infectious diseases. Some result from natural processes, such as the evolution of these germs over time. But many are a result of human behavior and practices. Humans are the cause of a lot of it. The interaction between the human population and our environment has changed, especially in the last century, and factors that have contributed to these changes are things like population growth, the migration from rural cities, rural areas to cities, the international air travel, and of course, uh, unrest, both political unrest and civil unrest, and of course, uh, whatever ecological changes occur due to economic development and land use, like in other words, some of that rainforest that's being cut down to put up uh, palm oil plantations in places like Brazil. Now, for an emergence, emerging disease to become established, at least three things have to happen. One, the infectious agent has to be introduced into a vulnerable population, like we introduced smallpox into the Native American population uh, when explorers first uh, hit the east coast of, the, uh, of North America. 
Two, the agent has to have the ability to spread readily from person to person and cause disease. Now, there, we're going to talk about different ways that disease is spread and what makes an, a successful, quote-unquote successful, emergent yeah. disease. Now, the third thing that has to happen is the infection has to be able to sustain itself within the population. That is, more and more people have to continue to become infected. Now, many, many, many emerging, emerging diseases arise when infectious agents in animals are passed to humans. That's what's called a zoonosis, as in the word zoo, zo, zoonosis. As the human population expands and goes into new geographical areas, the possibility that humans will come in close contact with animal species, animal species as like bats and Ebola that are potential hosts of an infectious disease, that increases. When that factor is in, combined with a lot of increase in the human population, density of the population, and of course mobility of the population, it's easy to see that all of this could definitely pose a threat to human health. Now, when germs become resistant to medicines, like germs that are becoming resistant to antibiotics, you'll find the reemergence of a lot of diseases. Both bacteria and viruses can change over time, and they develop an immunity to these drugs, to these drugs, so that ones that were effective in controlling disease in the past aren't useful anymore. Which is just like a computer virus that gets changed, the code gets changed by the hacker. Right. So it can bypass our secu- our computer security systems. So we have we have virus protection in our computers and our bodies have immune systems and what happens is the virus learns how to bypass that. Again, how to hack the human body. I mean it's it's crazy how close the closely related these things are. It's, it's easy to get a, a picture if your computer's ever been hacked that it just makes everything go haywire. But the code in the hacked hacking from the computers actually targets certain things mm. in the computer. It, it may target one area of your computer or another area. It, it, um, it learns what's vulnerable in your computer and attacks that. And that's what these viruses do. They learn different techniques of a human's vulnerability. Right. And they learn this. So a virus and, and a computer and a virus and humans because they have, don't have a brain. Right. So how are they learning this? They it's are amazing. very strange. They're, They're amazing in a bad way in most yes, cases. Yes, in a bad way. They've mm-hmm. also learned somehow that bacteria within uh, a Petri dish that has an antibiotic in it, that certain bacteria in, in that Petri dish that learn how to not be eliminated or killed by that bacteria that we develop an immunity to it will communicate that immunity to other bacteria that are nearby they communicate hey this is how we avoid being killed by this bacteria it's just nuts amazing and and how they do it they're not even sure how this communication works some something we just don't understand yet so. It has to be on a, a very basic. I mean, I mean, these things don't even bacteria don't even have mo, uh, nuclei. Uh, you know, they a, can't explain it. It's they amazing. They just can't explain it. Amazing. Well, let's talk a little bit about climate change. 
Climate change is increasingly becoming a concern as a factor in the emergence of certain infectious diseases. Now, about climate change. Climate change <laughs> occurs. It has always occurred well, over the ages, whether you believe it's due to natural on. processes or human on. abuse of the environment. Let's back this up one second. The climate outside my house has changed since two hours ago. Guess yes. what? It got hotter. You know yes. why? Because the sun is higher in the sky. Right. The climate is constantly changing, and there might be in 10 minutes a rainstorm, right. which cools it off and changes the weather. And in longer processes. Right, right. And in longer processes, there are ice ages that occur intermittently within the earth. Which uh, then melted. Yes. Which not, means it's they're not warming. because humans were here, but just because something happened. They are unsure of everything that influences climate. They're not sure. It could be the teeniest, tiniest little wobble in our earth that we just cannot perceive because it happens over so many years. Maybe we get five inches further away from the sun for 10,000 years, and then we get... 10 inches closer for 100,000 years. I mean, who knows? There's no way we're ever going to know for sure. Now, do we put out carbon? Yes. Could we possibly have some sort of influence in the weather? Probably. But remember what I said, all that vast, unpopulated land? There's a lot of that. Nobody wants to talk about that. There's a whole lot of space where there aren't any people. And then we've got the oceans, which... There's nobody living in the water. <laughs> so right. we got no a lot of space. Mer- right. Mermaids. No, that's right. Mm-hmm. Mermaids. <laughs> a lot of space. You know, but we're influenced by, we have to remember, we're on a crust. What's in the crust? Crust. Uh, mantle. Right. And what's down there? The p- Ex- apple pie filling. Extremely, extremely Pumpkin. hot, mm-hmm. liquid, <laughs> molten. Yes. <laughs> Stuff that we can't live on. We, we're on a very small little dry right, crust. Right, about thirty here. miles, thirty maybe thirty miles yeah. deep, and that's it. So there's that. Then there's the sun. Mm-hmm. Sun flares again. Maybe it's some sort of wobble. I mean, there are so many influences on our climate, and we have to open up our mind and, and really understand the full picture, which we don't know the full picture. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people who feel they know, but so you know, either way, that humans are, you know, we're we're the total cause of this, and it's all our fault. Well, you know what? Stop the cows from farting. And, yeah. <laughs> Damn and grow cows. some more trees. Yeah. You know. Anyway, well, I'm glad we are cutting down on our pollution. We shouldn't be terrible to this planet. We should respect it. Absolutely. But I'm tired of being blamed because there was a hurricane here or a tsunami somewhere else. You know, the the, the weather, whatever. I'm well, done. Well, whether you believe that it's due. <laughs> I'm done. And that's okay. Whether you believe it's due to natural processes or humans' abuse of the environment, you know, as Earth has, has a climate, it has to warm, it has to cool. Habitats are therefore altered, right? And diseases therefore can spread into new geographic areas. Now, one way this can occur is through mosquitoes. If the temperature changes, maybe the range of a mosquito uh, may be different. And 
They may expand the range. The range may shrink. They may travel. Uh, gosh, on uh, that this is one way humans would do it: travel on an airplane. You know, a mosquito goes into an airplane cabin and goes out when it arrives in another continent. I just want to know if it had to pay for a first class ticket. I know. <laughs> yes, but if only a very small one. <laughs> Uh, influenza, let's talk about influenza. Influenza is an example of an emerging disease, both uh, due to both natural and human factors. Uh, influenza virus, well, you know that it mutates. It mutates a lot, as a matter of fact, and large changes in the virus can cause pandemics because the human immune system is just not prepared to recognize and defend against the new variants, some, something similar to what Amy said. Mm-hmm. Um, the chances of a large genetic changes occurring being passed into humans, this is increased when humans coexist in close proximity, especially with food-producing livestock like chickens and ducks and pigs, things like that, because these animals are indeed natural hosts of certain influenza viruses, pigs, swine flu, chickens and ducks, avian flu, and they create new types of influenza may not have existed previously. And so, for example, avian flu H5N1, which emerged about a decade ago, that has been limited to very rare instances of infections in humans who came in, and they had to come in contact, direct contact, with diseased birds. Now, that virus, H5N1, is very deadly. More than half of the cases have been fatal, but it hasn't acquired the ability yet to pass efficiently between humans. You can get it from a duck, but it doesn't tend to go from you to other humans if you do get it. Now, in contrast, in 2009, there was an influenza called H1N1. That was the swine flu, which passed into humans from pigs. And that was transmitted easily from person to person. And as such, it traveled around the world a lot faster than any virus, matter of fact, any virus in history, as a result of modern air travel. But luckily, it was much less deadly than the H5N1. Half of the cases didn't die, just a very small, very small percentage emergence of an influenza virus, let's say that's as deadly as the avian H5N1 virus, and is spread between people as easily as the swine flu, the H1N1 virus, that would be a very serious threat to human health. Of course, there are the cases of uh, SARS and MERS, sudden, acute, uh, sudden adult respiratory syndrome, um, or sudden acute respiratory syndrome, I think I misspoke there, uh, Middle East respiratory syndrome, other severe respiratory illnesses. Now, this is, these are another instance of how quickly an infectious disease can spread around the globe, globe as a result of air travel. SARS emerged in China in 2002, spread rapidly to other countries within the region, then head, headed out to Canada via air travel with an infected eventually 8,000 people and 800 of them died. And the Middle East respiratory syndrome caused by a related virus emerged just in 2012 in the Arabian Peninsula, and that was thought to be brought uh, over by Korean workers that worked uh, that were commuted, I guess, to the Arabian Peninsula for their job, or that traveled there and spent time there uh, for their job. So these are all sorts of different ways that emerging infectious diseases can be a problem. Now, uh, an example of an emerging infectious disease that's attributed to human practices is, for example, HIV. It's thought the humans were first infected with HIV through close contact with chimpanzees because there is something called simian flu. If you've ever seen the Planet of the Apes movies, 
that a simian flu is what caused humans to decline as a as a species. And uh, it's thought that HIV, after contact with uh, things like uh, animals like chimpanzees, then spread from rural regions into cities and then internationally through air travel. Now, this spread may have occurred through intravenous drug use. It could have occurred as a result of sexual transmission or a transfer of blood products before before the disease was finally recognized. And all of these methods aided the rapid and extensive spread of HIV, which thank, thankfully is a little, there's more treatments now for that than were available in the past. Now, in a tropical disease that has spread recently into new areas, this part of the uh, globe, uh, that that may do actually may be due to changing climate a little bit is chikungunya. Chikungunya disease is caused by the chikungunya virus. That's a relative of the virus that causes dengue fever. It's transmitted by a specific type of mosquito called the Asian tiger mosquito. Actually, as mosquitoes go, are actually very attractive looking mosquito. But, <laughs> so very good looking, but deadly. Right. In the past, it was confined to tropical regions oh, I around say the deadly, but you know. <laughs> Well, causes some pretty terrible, terrible disease. symptoms. That's yes. right. Well, in the past, that lived in tropical regions around the Indian Ocean, but in the summer of 2007, uh, a group of residents of the town of Ravenna in Italy suffered from this weird disease that caused fever, exhaustion, and severe joint pain. And the outbreak was eventually shown to be caused by this virus from around the Indian Ocean. Now, that's 2007. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2014, there were chikungunya outbreaks in places in, like, uh, the Dominican Dominican Republic. Has like it been that long? Cuba. Yeah, it's four been, years? Yeah, it's been four years since wow. chikungunya has been an issue. I remember when that was a big thing. Now, the virus arrived in the United States uh, a year or so later, and thus far, thank goodness, it, you'll see it occasionally in the state of Florida, where we live, but most of the mostly nowhere else. It's likely it's going to continue to spread to other states one day. But the thing is, uh, at least it's not a deadly disease. Yes, it doesn't kill you, goodness. but it can make you miserable with joint, joint pain Oh yeah, we heard for months. For months. Um, I forget where it was that we met somebody, but he was telling us his sister had gotten it. And she could hardly get out of bed. And she was really sick for over a year. In the Dominican Republic, in, in the Dominican Republic, the year that chikungunya arrived there, uh-huh. there was an absentee, uh, a work absentee rate of twelve percent. Wow! So people that had jobs that just couldn't go, just couldn't go to work because they were in such pain. <clears throat> so, uh, and and all this serves as a warning. I mean, there are worse tropical diseases that could follow. I mean, there was the Zika virus that followed chikungunya. And that was an infectious disease. Didn't kill you, and most people actually didn't even know they had it. Right. But it could cause some pretty bad effects on the fetuses of women that were pregnant when they were infected. And of course, there is also the Ebola virus. The Ebola virus is a virus that emerged in 2014. Well, actually, it emerged back in the 70s in a different area, but it, the West African epidemic in 2014 uh-huh. shows how a virus that previously affected only small groups of people, maybe a few hundred, in the middle of Africa could sweep rapidly through an area 
to affect other areas to affect tens of thousands of people and become maybe difficult to contain as those people travel, such as the gentleman with Ebola that traveled to Texas and wound up infecting two nurses that were taking care of him. Yep. So high population densities, increased travel, closer contact with wild animals, bad health care systems, of course, and a slow response. If you're complacent about it, it could that this these are the things that led to the worst outbreak of Ebola, of Ebola the world has ever seen. It could certainly with a more aggressive version of the virus or another virus that's more aggressive could be a big issue. Now, I want to talk a, a little bit about an infectious disease that's caused a lot more deaths than all of the disease I've talked about combined. I mean, the world is full of dangerous critters. We're lucky not to run into the grand majority of them during our daily lives, thank goodness. Animals that represent a threat to humans, they usually live in habitats that are in the wilderness, maybe the deep ocean, where population densities of people are low and encounters are very infrequent. And and so, you know, if I asked you what's the most dangerous animal in the world, you might say, well, the great white shark, obviously, or the killer whale, perhaps, but you'd be wrong. It's not uh, those animals or, or unusual animals like the cone snail of uh, the Caribbean or the black mamba snake of Africa. I mean, in, in terms of sheer numbers of human deaths, the creature that is most deadly is the lowly mosquito. That puts jaws and all the classic creatures from our nightmares to shame. It really does. Mosquitoes, especially those in the Anopheles, Aedes, and Culex families, are responsible for more deaths than any other animal other than humans, that is. And according to the World Health Organization, mosquito bites are the cause of one million deaths every year. You know, if you had great white sharks killing a million people every year, they probably wouldn't be any great white sharks left, I'll tell you that much. But a mosquito bite is a direct way of getting a disease, what we call indirectly. A mosquito itself isn't the cause of the disease. It's a vector. It's a way station for a microbe on on its way to you, its eventual host. Now, these organisms are rarely, if ever, fatal to the mosquito they live in, but can be to their eventual host, warm-blooded animals that the mosquito bites, like humans. Only female mosquitoes bite, by the way. The majority of deaths from infectious diseases transmitted by mosquitoes are caused by a disease known as malaria. It was originally thought that the disease came from foul air from marshy areas or stagnant water, and so that actually became known as malaria, okay, or bad air. That's what malaria means. It's actually two, it came from two words, malaria, which basically meant bad air. Uh, the World Health Organization believes that there are 300 to 500 million cases of malaria and that there have been uh, 1 million deaths. And that is on a yearly basis. Wow, that is pretty amazing. That There are 1,700 cases that are reported to the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention annually in the United States, mostly by those traveling across the country or outside the country. The, the in the past, when we were colonies, places like New Orleans and other, maybe Savannah, would get actual malaria epidemics. And these were are places that were warm and humid and uh, had marshy areas nearby. Uh, malaria is caused by 
one of four species of microbe that are known as plasmodium. And uh, there's plasmodium, there are several different types, but plasmodium falciparum is the worst. Uh, it lives in the guts of mosquitoes, and when female mosquitoes of the Anopheles species inject these microorganisms into a human body when they bite you, they colonize organs like your liver. And once there, they travel through your circulation and they damage blood cells and other organs. Now, if you look at the map of the current range of Anopheles mosquitoes, you would think the United States is, is immune. That's because of the common availability of air conditioning systems, the fact that we drain a lot of swamp areas, and we have improved health care, at least in modern times. And it's no longer the problem that it was, especially in the South in the 18th and 19th centuries. But even today, a remote homestead or a community off the grid due to a major disaster, things that we talk about, could easily be vulnerable to an outbreak if they live in a certain climate. Now, it should be noted that besides Anopheles, there are other species of mosquitoes that carry microorganisms that invade and cause damage to organs. One instance is the Aedes mosquito and Zika virus, and there's also the uh, virus, the West Nile virus, and a number of others that happen to be passed usually by mosquitoes. Now, malaria, if you need to be able to recognize malaria, if you're going to be the medic uh, for a family or a survival group, certainly in, especially if you're in the South, well, the symptoms appear sort of like a flu, and they, but they present as periodic chills, fevers, and sweats. And so that's the thing. There's episodes of this of this thing. You'll note that there's high fever, some often reaching uh, 103 degrees or more. Chills, of course, and shaking that occurs with that. Extreme sweating that occurs as well. Uh, you're beat. You know, you're you're fatigued. You feel rotten. Uh, uh, yeah, body aches and joints. That's uh, you just feel unwell. That we refer to as malaise. Uh, you get headaches, nausea and vomiting, maybe diarrhea. Some people even develop jaundice, which is a yellowing of the skin and eyes uh, due to liver damage. Now, although most people begin to experience symptoms ten days to two, four weeks, ten days to four weeks after being infected, it's possible to be without symptoms for up to one year after you are infected. Bouts of severe symptoms every few days can be common. Now, some types of malaria can lead to repeat bouts, of course, even more. Uh, uh, some can be frequent, the pa but there are times that the parasite can go dormant, the plasmodium can go dormant in the liver for a period of time after infection. When it becomes active again, the person gets sick again, and that is what we call a recurrence. Over time, the patient becomes anemic as blood cells are lost to the infection. With time, with time periods between episodes become shorter and permanent organ damage may occur. Now, diagnosis of malaria, you can't actually confirm it without a microscope. might be something if you were staying in place, you might want to have a microscope if you're going to be the medical person. But the truth is that anyone that it's experiences relapsing fevers that come, come and go with severe chills and sweating, you should consider them possible candidates for treatment uh, for malaria. The medications used for malaria include chloroquine, 
quinine and quinidine, and there, but there are other later generation drugs that are available. Uh, sometimes an antibiotic such as doxycycline or clindamycin, that's bird biotic, doxycycline, clindamycin is fish sin, C-I-N, uh, sometimes you use them in combination with quinine or quinidine or chloroquine. Uh, physicians usually, I want to just say that they're usually sympathetic towards prescribing these medicines to those who are contemplating trips to places where mosquitoes that can pass these kinds of tropical diseases are rampant. And these drugs are, are available also, as I mentioned, in veterinary equivalents, avian, aquatic form. You can find a number of them in different situations. Of course, the fewer mosquitoes that are near your retreat, the less likely you'll fall, fall victim to one of these diseases. You can decrease the population of mosquitoes in your area and certainly improve the likelihood of preventing disease by looking for areas of walk, uh, standing water that could serve as mosquito breeding grounds. Drain all water you don't depend on for survival. And remember, they don't need much water at all, so maybe just the water in a bottle cap to lay their eggs. Uh, so if you see like cans um, that might hold some water, maybe the inside of a, an old tire that may hold a little bit of water, I mean, you've got to get rid of those if you're going to have a good chance of preventing mos it being a mosquito breeding ground. Uh, you want to monitor screens on your retreat's windows and doors if you're in, in a retreat. And if you have any holes in them, repair them. You want to be careful to avoid outside activities, especially at dusk or dawn. And this is the time that most mosquitoes are active, or at least that they're most active. And so I remember uh, being in the Bahamas uh, around sunset, and boy, oh boy, I, I, we had to, we were almost physically chased by a swarm of mosquitoes inside, and so this is an air a time of day, and also dawn that you really need to watch out. Of course, wear long pants and shirts whenever you venture outside. I mean, maybe uncomfortably hot, but it will protect you. You want to have maybe netting for your uh, for your bedding, uh, cover your bed maybe with netting. Uh, there's even clothes. I even have a shirt that is mosquito made of mosquito net netting. So. Uh, very cool, and it certainly works for the purpose. Now, you want to have a good stockpile of insect repellents. If you're going to go use sunscreen, remember to apply it first and then apply the insect repellent on top of it. That's very important. Now, some insect repellents are meant to be applied just to clothing, such as permethrin. However, DEET, D-E-E-T, is acceptable for exposed skin. Those areas that are not covered with clothing, well, as long as... You, you know, actually, you want to know something? They recently uh, said that DEET is acceptable for pregnant and breastfeeding women. So if you use it correctly, that is at 35% or less concentrations. That's very important. 35% or less concentrations, actually, you can use it even if you happen to be pregnant. Um, I have to say that many people are reluctant to use these commercial chemical repellents to feel that they are bad for the environment and just in general, you know, prefer to stay with natural ways to deal with things. Of course, when we, we strongly, strongly encourage you to indeed know all the natural ways to deal with issues. I mean, if you really believe something may happen in the future that'll take away modern medicine, well, even whatever you have accumulated in your medical stockpile will eventually be used up. So you need to know what natural plants will work. Uh, here we have plants like citronella, and 
the it leaves of citronella citronella can be rubbed on your skin to discourage discourage bites if you can grow citronella where you are i highly highly encourage it so epa accepts that as a natural remedy lemon balm has been recommended in the past i would have to say but despite having a fragrance similar to citronella it doesn't have the same bug repelling properties so lemon balm is not an option but citronella is when you use an essential oil to repel insects you want to reapply it frequently more frequently even than sunscreen feel free to combine oils you can combine citronella oil with let's say uh, lemon eucalyptus oil Uh, that is also epa approved so lemon eucalyptus oil will work as an insect repellent other people have recommended cinnamon oil peppermint oil geranium oil clove oil that may work also rosemary oil and that's those are some of the options that you have now i will say that a large amount of damage can occur to humans as a result of very small insects so you have to know how to recognize major insect-borne diseases along with a program of systematic control of bug populations that's important then if you can do that you can decrease the number of people that you would have to deal with that have significant diseases as a result of exposure to mosquitoes and other insects so this is something that i believe to be your responsibility medic and i hope that you will take that responsibility seriously you know that is all the time we have for this episode of the survival medicine hour i thank you so much for listening and we will be back next week with another exciting episode see you next time Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. been listening to the doom and bloom hour with medical preparedness experts dr bones and nurse amy check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine gardening natural remedies medical supplies and lots of other good stuff contact us send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website see you next week